You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. What's going on, rookies? And welcome to episode 33 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this podcast is brought to you by Upland Brits. Also, I want to thank my sponsors, Yuka Frickin' Nuba. Yuka Nuba Sporting Dog. You can check them out online, yukanubasportingdog.com. And I have had my dogs on Yukanuba for nearly a year now and could not be happier. Um, overall performance of the food, um, yeah, all the good stuff, nutrients, probiotics, all that good stuff that is uh, packed into this rich, rich density, high quality food of Yuka Nuba. So thank you, Yuka Nuba. Uh, Trinity Bertans. Trinity Bertans has the Trinity Upland Academy happening this June. Uh, I'm going to try to get Josh on the podcast one more time and just chat a little bit more about what is the Trinity Upland Academy. Uh, but you're going to want to reach out to him ASAP because spots are filling very fast uh, for the Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, also brought to you by Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels are the best kennel I have ever used. And I've said it before, but I've used every major kennel brand on the market personally. Gunner Kennels, hands down, the best kennel I've ever used. Could not be happier uh, with my Gunner Kennels and my Gunner Food Crate. That was kind of a splurge I bought uh, last year and I dang I just <laughs> I love that that Gunner food crate so uh, check them out gunnerkennels.com and Pointer Traditions use promo code rookie15 at pointertraditions.com to save 15% off your order again the best colors I have used and I'm not just saying that um, I've loved love their collars. I love the color, the options they have, the quality, durability, uh, and just the look of them. They look fantastic. Uh, the, the brass things, the brass on them, and, and just they look really nice. So uh, check them out, pointertraditions.com. All right, guys, that's all I got for my intros. Whew, that's a lot to get through sometimes. I got all these notes in front of me, and I don't know. They're not doing me any favors right now. That was all off memory. So uh, we're going to dive in here. Hey, everybody. Um, hey, some of you, uh, we're in early January right now. And I know some of you, uh, your bird seasons might be over. I'm sorry for that. Um, you know, it's some of you might be looking forward to, you know, spring training, summer training, you know, next hunting season. That's, that's awesome. Um, it's always something to look forward to. Um, and it's got me thinking about, you know, owning a bird dog is is to me, it's not seasonal. To me, it's not, oh, well, wait until next hunting season to come around. Like, you know, owning a bird dog is is a year-round commitment. It's uh, that's, that's what makes it special, I think. I also think it's, it makes it unique. And, uh, you know, from end of January when, when my season ends to, you know, next September, that's I, sometimes I enjoy that more than, than hunting season. It's call me crazy, but I love that extra time I get with a dog to pour into them and, you know, work on new things, brush up on, on things that needs brushing up on. And, you know, they're part of our family. These are our family members. These are dogs that have a job and, uh, bringing those, those elements out 
in quote unquote, the off season. Um, I don't think there is an off season. I think it's just a year round thing that you continue to work with your dog and whether it's hunting season or, or, you know, summer or spring. And so, you know, I I encourage you again to do something this week, get out with your dog, um, work on something with them, whether your season's over or not, you know, hunting season wise. And so, uh, that's just what's fun about dogs. Um, it's just, there's, there's nothing else like it. Um, you know, yes, my, my season ends here, January 31st, Colorado closes, Nebraska, and then, uh, Kansas all close. And so I'm going to try to get out once or twice more, uh, try to get after my Upland slam in Nebraska, just, uh, just one Bob white short of, uh, of completing that Upland slam. So we'll see if we can get it done. Gotta go a little bit further East. Um, uh, but after that, man, I'm looking forward. I got, uh, some Nashua trials I'm doing here with Gage, uh, getting win and, and brushing up uh, with her and getting her into some trials. And so I'm, uh, you know, my upland season's coming to a close in the next few weeks or so, but I am so excited, uh, for what's, for what's ahead for, uh, for upland Brits, uh, Gage and Wynn and myself, and just to see what, uh, what we can start working on. So anyways, all that to say, um, Hey, we got a, a special episode today. Um, I got Ben Baker on, uh, on the podcast here and I had a great time, uh, chatting with Ben. Um, just getting to know him more. Uh, we were actually introduced through Scott Stoner of uh, Stoner Poodle Pointers. Uh, Scott was on the podcast, uh, you know, uh, several months ago, and um, so Scott introduced us, and Ben and I started chatting online, and I just thought it'd be great um, get him on the podcast, just hear more about his story. And he's uh, he's working with uh, Griffin and Howe Gun Dogs, uh, East Coaster. So we got some East Coast representation here on the podcast, which is always fun to. I kind of switch things up a little bit and we just get to learn a little bit from Ben and he's got a bunch of, uh, experience hands-on training lots of dogs and, uh, working at a kennel in Texas and, uh, you know, primarily working with, with retrievers and labs and, uh, you know, he, he just picked up a pointer of his, his own. And so, yeah, really, really glad we got Ben on here and to hear more about his story and what he's doing with uh, Griffin and Howe over, uh, in New Jersey. So hope you enjoy the podcast with Ben Baker. But yeah, what are you up to right now? Dude, so I'm down here at Dallas Safari Club. Okay. So I'm in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm a big exotic hunting guy at the same time. Oh, and no way. I was involved in that community for just as long as I've been involved with dogs. So I'm down here um, just kind of meeting people, meeting old friends, getting back into it. Um, just down here viewing everything this year. That is cool. Paint a picture. What, what, cause I'm actually interested. What is yeah. the Denver or the Dallas Safari club? What, what does that look like? So the Dallas Safari club is, so you know what Safari club international is? No idea. Okay. So SCI and DSC, they are two different organizations out there that really stand up for a exotic hunting in the United States to make sure that things don't go, um, Quite frankly, you don't get animals going extinct, okay. as well as they're really big into giving money overseas, so like Africa, for instance. Um, they're huge into giving back to make sure the elephant population doesn't go down by poachers, but instead okay. is if a guy goes out there and spends 120K on an elephant, that conservation practice within that, I mean, the community's getting money, the tribe's getting money, the tribe's wow. getting meat, that type of thing. So it's a really neat group of people that's a little different but it's a pretty high dollar clientele sure um, which makes it very interesting to me but as well as the hunting side of things um yeah it's awesome absolutely that's cool man i I, you know i've actually heard one other person it's sci 
Yeah, Safari Club International and then okay. Dallas Safari Club. Gotcha. It used to be okay. one thing, and then Dallas Safari Club, since Dallas just has so much money, sure. guys involved in exotic, <laughs> sure. they were just like, we're going to start our own pretty much. I mean, why and, not? Exactly. So <laughs> they have their own going, and it's it's unreal. In my mind, it's the best hunting show in the United States. Really? Bar none. Yeah. The, the money here is just... Dallas likes to wear their money on their sleeve. <laughs> no, really? Here. Yeah, it's here, man. So it's just neat to kind of, I mean, off this is off the record. But I mean, it's neat just to kind of walk around and, you know, bumping elbows with the guys who own Jacqueline's beef jerky or bumping elbows sure. with, you know, any yeah, yeah. Name of brand. It's crazy. Totally. That's cool, man. That's cool. It's cool. It's so, cool. so, I mean, before we kind of dive in, do you do any big or uh, exotic, I mean, safari hunts yourself or have you in the past so I've, I've been really involved in the outfitting side of it okay so i helped manage a massive massive game preserve in south texas that mm. is over 50 i want to say it's over 58 exotics right now different species oh, wow. okay um so that was eight thousand, eighteen thousand acres and i helped manage that for three years oh wow and then that kind of in all honesty is what led me to dogs so okay. we'll kind of get to that for sure in the podcast um, because the exotic hunting world brought me full circle and, uh, yeah, so it's pretty, it's a big passion of mine. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I can't wait to, uh, to hear more. So yeah. as we, uh, as we dive in here, uh, so two things I'd like to open up with, uh, put us on the map, kind of, where are you? I think I know where you are right now, but absolutely. where do you, where do you call home? And, absolutely. uh, just tell us a little bit about, uh, who is Ben Baker? Totally. Totally. So currently I call home Andover, New Jersey. Um, just moved up there from Dallas, Texas. So I've been down in Dallas, Texas for a couple of years. So I'm a new resident up here. Um, but who is Ben Baker? Um, that's a hard question. Ben Baker is a pretty, a pretty, uh, driven person. I would say that is very passionate and very involved within the hunting space. Um, again, whether that be the outfitting side or the dog side, um, I really hold both as a huge passion. And outside of that, I'm, I'm someone who, um, quite frankly, has a pretty unique story, I find, and uh, can really sympathize with a lot of people and just kind of a realistic outlook on what a dog should do for a person, mm. as well as what a dog should do for a person in a field while you're hunting. Um, and I really try to marry both those together and build uh, great dogs for everybody. So that's kind of the background on who I am and and kind of my passions and what I'm really into. That's, that's awesome, man. That's a great overview. What, uh, that's a, I mean, I'm just going to point out the obvious. That's a big change, uh, Texas to New Jersey, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What brought so, you up there? So I grew up in Pennsylvania, mm. um, grew up in Pennsylvania and quite frankly, went to, I grew up on a small little farm. We had pigs, chickens, goats, that type of thing. Always been into the whitetail scene was always passionate about getting out there with my dad and my brother hunting. We had a little cabin up below Penn state. So we did that the whole way up to college. Um, and then for some reason I got a drive to say, you know, let's go try the city life. Hmm. So I picked up and went to temple university in downtown Philadelphia and, uh, did three years there and was pretty much worn out on the city. <laughs> and kind of realized that I was not really a city guy. I kind of stuck out like a, like a sore thumb there. You mean your, your and, pheasant uh, hat didn't uh, blend yeah, in, didn't, in the, in the didn't city? Didn't fit in too well. <laughs> didn't fit in too well. So that went in some other reasons. 
Um, I had some health complications back as a kid um, growing up. So, I mean, right around when I was 16 years old, I actually experienced a liver transplant. Oh, wow. So I had a liver transplant and then uh, two bouts of cancer. And that was kind of my high school career. Oh, wow. And going to college, I went to Temple University because my dad and I sat down and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to travel. And quite frankly, the life I have, I want it to be really, really interesting. And uh, he said, well, why don't you try to get into the hotel side of things? So I went to college for hospitality management tourism okay. at Temple. And uh, after three years there, I was like, you know, the woods have been an outlet for me. Um, my grandparents had always had sheep dogs, actually. Hmm. So I was kind of familiar with working dogs. And hmm. I, I ended up acquiring a Border Collie, a, a really great um, dog with a ton of drive. I acquired her and we were living in Philadelphia. And I was like, you know, I ought to take my hospitality experience and my love for the outdoors and mesh them together. So I decided that was exactly what I was going to do. And I was going to try to get in the hunting industry. So one night I was sitting in my dorm and uh, junior year. And I said, I'm either a dropping out of college and going to get into the hunting field or B I'm going to find an opportunity to go down there. It'll keep giving me credit somehow. <laughs> so I uh, started looking at ranches in Texas because it Texas just interested me. Sure. And uh, yeah, I ended up meeting some guys and reached out to a ranch called the Ox Ranch, which is a pretty massive property in South Texas and okay. shot them an email. And the owner got back to me within a day and was like, hey, I need uh, I need an intern. You're cheap. You seem like <laughs> a good guy. You're a hospitality uh, guy. Come on down. And that's kind of what got me to Texas and got me into the hunting industry. Dang, that's cool, man. What a what yeah. kind of a kind of leap of faith and just something, you know. Kind of, now, I, want, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like you're following your passion, following your your dream, sounds like. Completely, completely. It was, like I said, it's always been kind of a dream of mine to be interesting. Um, everybody here, we don't know what our what our how long we got on this earth. We all have a little bit of a stopwatch at some point. So quite frankly, the time we have, let's make it real cool and let's yeah. stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Heck so, yeah. I kind of figured. Hey, exotic hunting at that time was how I was going to do that. So that's what I did. Yeah. So, so now growing up, going back to your childhood, I guess yeah. a little bit, um, was hunting a part of your family? Like, is that something you guys did as a family? Did like, where did, where did hunting come in and specifically, um, dogs and upland hunting as well? Certainly, certainly. So, okay. That's going to be a longer story a little <laughs> bit. So we got time. Father, we got time. Yeah, we got plenty. My father, he was. He's an outdoorsman, I would say. I'm very passionate about that. He was, he was in the military, served and all that. Long story short, when my brother and I started getting to the age where we could be in the outdoors, he was not someone who grew up hunting, but he had some sort of, uh, for some reason, he had a passion to get my brother and I out there. Hmm. So he made us immediately when we were 12. We had a nice little farm and he was like, go get your hunting license. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. Went out. We both got our hunting licenses. Um, and then we went into the field with him and started hunting whitetail just cause that was the easiest thing to get onto sure. being in Pennsylvania and so much public land. Um, and then again, my grandparents had these working dogs that were for sheep and people are like, Oh, that's, that's very different. But at the same point, it's not, it's huh. extremely close. It's all okay. involving whistles, it's involving hand signals. It's involving telling a dog to do a job sure. and then having them actually perform while they're not next to you. 
Um, so there's a lot of stuff that kind of tie in there. So got involved with my father, with my brother, and then got involved with dogs from my grandparents and their mm-hmm. sheep and their collies. And then actually about, wow, I'd say five, six years ago, I was at Dallas Safari Club where I'm at currently. <laughs> nice. And uh, I ended up, so this is a little bit of a side story. The gentleman who I who owned the ranch that I was working on as well owned a military defense company. So I was at Dallas Safari Club with the military defense company. And there's a really, really big dog brand out there called Wild Rose. Wild Rose, they produce labs, beautiful labs, phenomenal dogs. So they were at the show. And the owner of Wild Rose came over to me and was like, hey, do you mind if I take a picture with my dog and your military equipment? I was like, absolutely, take a picture. And right there, for some reason, something clicked in my head and I was like, holy cow, I got to figure out how this guy is doing this. Cause he is a taking my love of dogs and making that happen. He's taking huh. my love of hunting, making that happen. And quite frankly, I'm kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I was like, dogs are perfect for that. <laughs> I was like, I got to figure this out. So he left. And that evening, I was like, I'm going to go find this guy. So I sought him out for probably 25, 30 minutes (laughs) at this convention. Went up to him. I was like, hey, Mr. Mike, I got to figure out how to work for you. And he said, well, uh, we don't really have anything, but if you want to learn, I got a guy you can talk to. He's in Dallas. We have a franchise here. If you're interested, I'll put you in touch. I was like, all right, sounds good. So (laughs) why not? And uh, two weeks later, I quit the ranch and took an interview up here in Dallas and moved up to Dallas after a month and moved directly into the, the owner of Wild Rose, Texas, into his property. And one thing led to the next and kind of mentored under him in a way for, I'd say, uh, probably a year, probably a year. So that was kind of how I got full circle yeah. into hunting as well as into dogs. So Dang, that's, full, full that circle. is cool. So, yeah. so I, I know I've either seen or heard wild rose dogs. Are they, yeah. are they a full on like breeding training? Kennel? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So their, their big claim to fame is a gentleman's gun dog. Okay. So they teach dogs, everything from upland to waterfowl, of course, in the home of two, sure. uh, but yeah, they, they're only labs, only UK labs and they okay. do breeding training, started, finished dogs. Do it all. Like okay. That. Okay. So That's it was a cool. great opportunity for me to get my hands on tons of dogs and just around good minds and yeah. around guys who know what they're doing in the lab world. And yeah. that's where my passion felt was into the lab. And so prior to that experience, you never had hunting dogs of your own, right? Besides the herding, the herding collies. I never did. So okay. I had this collie when I first started the wild rose and I was like, damn, like I don't have a dog. <laughs> and uh, long story short, they're like, well, come work for us. And if you like it buy a puppy, figure it out. I was like, all right. So I'd of course been around these sheep dogs and I'd actually been to the border collie national finals for sheep herding. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's pretty similar to what I had seen and things like that. So sure. kind of clicked pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, immediately I just knew that this is what I was kind of meant to do. And, uh, I just chased it head on. I just chased it head on and haven't looked back since. That's awesome, man. That's, I mean, to be able to mentor under someone like that and who's well, well established and putting out some incredible dogs. That's, that's like you said, invaluable for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, because you talk to guys who start their own kennels and it's like, how many dogs have you touched? And like, I've had the privilege of training 10. It's like, yeah. that's awesome. But when you get in somewhere like a big franchise of any sort when it comes yeah. to dogs, I mean, wow, I probably have my hands on 50, 60 different dogs, you know, and you get sure. a, you really get to understand how to read them. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So, so that time there, so how long were you there? And then what, you know, what kind of led you to branch out and kind of do your own thing? Certainly. So long story short, I was down at Wild Rose overall for two and a half, three years in total. Um, I actually had a little bit of a medical hiccup during that time, which kind of caused me to go back north where my family was. Okay. So down there for two, three years, I've always kind of had this entrepreneurial side to me. Um, and the gentleman who I worked on the ranch with, right as I left the ranch and moved up to Dallas, he really encouraged me at some point. He said, you know what, dude? He's like, you got to drive. And he said, you should probably do something on your own at some point. Because hmm. I guess he just saw some matter really now. Sure. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So I came up here and I'm someone who very much believes you got to put in your time. Sure. So I came up here and made pennies on the dollar working dogs and really put in my time and grinded it out. And after about two years, um, year and a half of doing that, I, I felt pretty confident in my ability and felt like I put my hands on a lot of dogs. And then to be honest, I had a little hiccup kind of with my liver transplant. So mm. I had to go back north. So I go back right. north and I honestly thought my dog career was over. I was oh, like, geez. I have to stay up here and that's it. I don't have a lab. I don't, you know, I don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, phenomenal people. The guys down at Wild Rose called me and they said, Hey, when you kind of get back on your feet, give us a call and come back. Yeah. So I said, All right. And uh, so long story short, after months, two months of kind of getting back on my feet, the guys down here, they called and they said, um, would you be interested in a puppy? I said, well, yeah, I definitely would be. And they said, well, we're, we're doing, we got an import and we're doing a breeding. And uh, if you're interested in one, we've got an opportunity for you to come back here and you can kind of be a contract trainer. Hmm. So I went out and got a dog truck and uh, drove around Dallas for a year and a half, then two years picking up dogs in the surrounding area, only sporting dogs. Um, so I had about 12 dogs regularly about, I'd say, yeah, about 12 dogs regularly every week. And I'd pick them up and offer them tune-ups. So, I mean, it'd be anything oh. from puppies who were oh, getting cool. started and I drop them back off that same night. So they would always be home in the evening yeah. and get a full workout during the day. <laughs> That's awesome. So their owners were all about it. So I moved back down here, started that little contract training dog, day camp yeah <laughs> sporting dog training thing. That's, that's unique i have not heard of that before yeah no I don't, honestly, honestly i don't think anybody's done it and i did that and wild rose gifted me a puppy as kind of a sign-on bonus to do mm. this with them and uh that dog's name is daisy and she is kind of my pride and joy now she is just a pistol <laughs> so she uh she rode shotgun for that year and a half and we picked up anything from poodle pointers to to setters to labs and yeah. I, mean, I just kind of got That's my hands cool. on a bunch of different breeds and had the dallas hunting and fishing club to run the dogs on and learned a ton and that just kind of built my confidence a little more so i, uh, I bet i bet that's yeah. cool Did so that. then yeah i'll go, oh, go ahead 
No, go ahead. What were you gonna ask? No, no, I was just gonna ask you know, so when so when did you start? So are you still doing that model right now, or are you doing no. something you have a, your own kennel so kind of right I did now? That down, I did that down in Texas and then COVID hit. Ah. And I was like, you know, I said, just because of my own health, I said, because of my grandparents, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd enjoy heading back north. Sure. Heading back. So long story short, kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, went out and found an investor, went out and found a mentor up in New Jersey. Nice. And he said, I've got 300 acres. It's all yours. There's a house on it. I went down to kind of work some dogs on the property. Come use it. So I said, <laughs> all right. So picked up everything from Dallas, kind of, kind of a leap of faith, and moved the whole way up to New Jersey <laughs> and uh, spent half a year working on the house and working on the property and uh, started talking with the attorney who was going to help us with the, the kennel build. And uh, one thing led to the, again, one thing led to the next, and the attorney said, you know, there's this private hunting club 20 minutes from me. And he's like, you ought to go. They, he said, you ought to go look at it. <laughs> they need dogs and they don't have dogs. <laughs> and they have a kennel already built and there's no dogs in it. <laughs> you should go talk to them. Well, hell yeah. So I picked up everything and went and talked to them. And uh, that happened to be Griffin and Howe, which is an old historic shotgun. Mm. Um, maker, quite frankly, they do beautiful work from engravings to custom oh, wow. work. And they just, they do everything. Okay. And they do, they've handled guns for Teddy Roosevelt to Ernest Hemingway. I mean, just oh, really high dollar. And then uh, they sit on this beautiful 3,000 acres with this kennel and huh, birds. And it was like a dog trainer's heaven. Yeah. So I got there and they were like, hey, man come work for us, come help us launch this kennel. And, uh, that's where I'm at today. That's where Dang. I'm doing. That's cool, man. That's so yeah. cool. It's a huge story. Kind oh of my. how it took me down to Texas. Oh yeah. Local, back, big back. ranch, <laughs> train dogs and then back up. Yep. Yep. Dude. Yeah. That's, that's cool. What an opportunity. What an experience you've uh, yeah, gotten to have. It's been, a, it's been very cool. Very, very cool. Filled with phenomenal people. And, uh, the one nice thing is quite frankly, I'm, I'm still cool with the wild rose guys. Still That's cool. great. Yeah. I try to keep all, everybody happy. Try to keep yeah. everybody open and just kind of learn from everyone. That's cool. Yeah. What, uh, so, you know, we, okay, so you're starting this whole training thing with, uh, Griffin and Howe. uh, are you primarily focused on waterfowl upland Is it a mix of both? Like, where does that come in? Yeah. Sure. What does that, what does that look like? Sure. So we have the privilege of sitting on a property that has, that has a ton of history and a ton of guys who are passionate about the outdoors on it. So we have, it's, it's all private. Um, but I have the ability, luckily that I can kind of take hold of that private, um, that private property and private hunting and, and train the dogs on it. So they have fields and fields of just areas that members can hunt. Hmm. Uh, so they've got everything from upland. We, we put our dogs on everything from pheasant, to um, partridge, to quail, to mallard ducks. We farm everything. Nice. And then we, we have the ability to really hunt. I mean, tons of months and put them on tons of birds and get tons of experience for these dogs. So we really have a really great 
location and opportunity to launch this kennel. Yeah. Um, so we're going for about two months and I mean, it's been blowing up. So we're, uh, we're, we're super happy. Yeah. Super happy. That's fantastic. Well, what was the kind of the hardest thing is you thinking back to maybe your time at wow Rose or you're just getting into dogs and training side, like what was the, maybe the hardest thing for you to kind of have to pick up or, or learn as you're really getting your hands on, on more dogs. Can you think of anything? I would say, so the hardest thing from that I found was kind of the ability to wrap my mind around everybody's dogs different. So the one kind of thing I always tell guys when we're working together is the average guy out there in my mind probably hunts max 20 days a year, max. Sure. You have that dog in your house the other days of the year. <laughs> sure. Not everybody needs a complete machine, Yeah. you know? So the biggest takeaway and the biggest thing I've learned going through everything is make the dog to what the owner wants and mm. make every dog custom. Mm. Uh, take the time and put it into the animal to make sure the owner's happy as well as the, the dog's performing. Cause that dog's got to work with their family, got to work with kids, got to work with the wife, got to be around the dinner table, got to be sure. in the house in the evenings. So my big thing is, and the big takeaway that I had was just take that time, learn the owner, learn the dog, and then match both of them, match mm. both of them and get them the best dog and the best companion first and then the best hunting buddy now. Yeah. That's, Actually, a, got a very important fraction. that's, that's really well said. Cause yeah, like you said, so much of our time, again, take your average, average person out there, that dog's in the house for the other 300 and, you know, yeah. maybe not, and maybe not just in the house, but you know what I mean? We're not hitting the field day after day after day. That's exactly it. And a lot of trainers out there have the mindset of, I need to create every dog's got to be a machine. You know, I got to line this dog. He's got to run through every single head. That's, that's amazing. I mean, if you can get a dog to do that and, and that's awesome, but quite frankly, not everybody wants that. Not everybody needs that. And, and it's okay to, to, to match what they want. It's okay to match what they need and, and don't, yeah, just don't hold that over your head and, and really kind of work with that dog's natural ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so are you able to get out hunting much uh, for birds oh, yeah. or are you, are you keeping pretty busy right now? Oh yeah. We're staying real busy. So I keep myself busy as much as possible. Um, again, woods and everything's kind of an outlet for me, just kind of with all the health stuff that I've gone through. Um, I deal a little bit with PTSD and things like that. Um, the liver transplant road is a kind of a iffy and kind of mm -hmm. weird road. So I have a little bit of baggage from that. So my goal, quite frankly, is to I have a weird goal within the next two years to get to the point where I'm honestly hunting every three days. Nice. So my as of now, I'm out in the woods stomping around, kicking birds up about every other day. Um, I'm probably hunting twice a week, three times a week. Okay. Uh, so dogs are getting on birds, whether I'm squeezing the trigger or not, but they're getting on birds. Sure. We're getting out there every single day. It's that's, definitely, uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so how many yeah. dogs do you have personally? Do you, do you have the one lab still or do you have any more? So I've got two labs. I got um, one dog that's, I got a phenomenal little black dog. I got a little yellow lab that her name's Daisy again. She's yeah. great. And then I've got this Collie. She's just kind of the old house dog that I got back in college. And she lays on the couch every day. Um, and then I, another gentleman you actually have on your podcast, Stoner Poodle Pointers. Oh, yeah, Scott. Yeah, he's one. Yeah. So I was going to ask how you and Scott knew each other, but go ahead. Scott and I, when I was running that day camp in Dallas, he was prepping his dog that he just bred and started his little kennel and bloodline under. 
um, lady, he bred, or excuse me, he was training her for NAFTA. So he was taking her through some steps and I was one of the guys who helped her get through some of those early naps. Oh, okay. Okay. So I picked her up a couple of days of the week and we'd get her out there while Scott was at work and I'd work on things. With oh, her. that's cool. So he and I got to be friends through that. And then I bought one of the puppies out a lady for the first litter, just cause she's a phenomenal dog. And the poodle pointers are a perfect fit for the property I'm on. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And I always wanted a pointing dog. So I'm training him mainly to point. Okay. And I'll have my labs flush. Okay. Um, so my ending nice goal little combo is to have this poodle pointer and then mainly labs. Dang, that'll be cool, man. Someday I want a cocker though. That's a goal. A cocker. Oh yeah. The cockers oh, are yeah, so, they're so popular right now, man. Every they're I turn awesome. around left and right. They and, are uh, awesome. Uh, cocker, and cocker fever. Flush. We're mainly flushing up where sure. we're at. Um, we do a little pointing. We just, quite frankly, have such a high bird population on the private property I train on. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a little hard for the pointing dogs. Oh, uh, they lock up a lot. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, what's what's the bird hunting like? Up, I mean, in New Jersey, again, I'm in Colorado. Yeah. Grew up in Illinois, so Illinois is a little cool. weird with land and all that. Yeah. But is it? Is there, are there any wild birds, or is it primarily uh, what we call preserves or hunt clubs? A lot of wild birds, but uh-huh. yet at the same time. There's some really, there's probably two, three really nice high-end clubs out there. The clubs that I'm talking about are private. Though. I mean, like pretty sure. exclusive private. So a lot of guys are public land, but sure. I mean, they're going out and they're, they're putting four roosters on the ground quick, or nice. they got a bunch in the area for guys that aren't upland. Um, but you also get down to South Jersey, you got your woodcock down there. Um, so yeah, we've got some fun birds to chase and, uh, if you're geese, early season goose is fun up there. Oh, we got a 15, I've heard that waterfowl is pretty good. 15 bird limit. Waterfowl is good. Ducks are okay. Um, but I, I, quite frankly, I kind of go a little nuts on the pheasant. That's my, that's my love. Yeah. There's, there's not much better than a, uh, a rooster getting up. So no, no. And there's nothing in my mind. There's nothing better than watching a dog flush. Oh yeah. Walk up. Hit the, hit the bird, watch it fall, and send it, man. That is yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, well, I got you on here. I, you know, it sounds like you've, you've worked quite a bit with labs and kind of the flushing yeah. breeds. Yeah. Take me through some, maybe like just a couple basics, basic training steps that you take a flushing dog through. Again, I think most of my listeners maybe primarily are pointing guys. Yeah. Just talk about the flushing kind of training side. Like take a, take a young pup you get. So you get a pup at six, eight yeah. months old, something like that. Like, what are you going to do, be doing with that pup? I've found that the biggest thing when it comes to upland work is kind of fun for the dog. I've found Um, you can really get a dog out there doing the job and making sure they're having fun quickly. So I've found the best thing that the best drill for any dog out there is I go out and I get bumpers. I load them up with scent. I go out in a field prior and I bury those suckers, you Mm -hmm. know, I bury them under the brush and I I let that dog out there and I, Again, another little thing is dogs will follow your body. So I walk in a zigzag pattern and sure. through those high grass, the dog kind of turns with you. As long as you get that basic obedience where that bird goes up, they're not going to haul out after it. Outside of that, man, you're just kind of playing find the bird. So that dog hits that field. You teach them that simple quartering back and forth. And then with labs and, and cockers as well, it's pretty natural for them to lock. So if you teach that stop to the whistle, you really got it. You really got it. So basically, yeah. yeah, you put some bumpers out there, you spread them out. So every 30, 40 feet, they're hitting one 
and you're just teaching them to get your nose to the ground. You smell that, you go in, yeah. and you can tell when that dog's getting birdie. And then when they pop that bird up, yeah. you sit down, you know, take a hug, <laughs> sit down. Or I don't even care sometimes if you just stay in there, just lock sure. up and just wait for your name to be called. So that sit to the whistle then is crucial, crucial. Yeah. But outside that, it's just get on live birds. Yeah. Get on live birds because it's a, a lot of the guys I take through, It's a, they get amazed by their own dog's natural ability. Even if the dog's not amazingly bred, yeah. the natural abilities, it's there. Yeah. It's there. Absolutely. That's cool. Hey, yeah. uh, t- talk a little bit more. So you picked up that pup out of lady, the poodle pointer yeah. and uh, talk a little bit more, more about that. Like what, was that your first pointing dog or have you had pointering dogs? Okay. So what, what kind of led you to that? So when I was doing the day of camp down here in Dallas, I had lady and then I had a male poodle. I had two male poodle pointers uh-huh. that had, that I had involved in that. So I got to mess around with the pointing breeds. Mm-hmm. I didn't train them the whole way up through. So when I picked up this puppy from Scott, I was kind of of the mindset this would be the dog that would teach me the pointing breed. Mm. Um, he's a versatile dog. So, I mean, he could really go pick up. He could do all that stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. But my, my big focus with him is point, hold, point, steady the shot, that type of thing. Sure. Um, so he is my first, my first pointer. I mean, I am ecstatic about him because he's currently five and a half months. Okay. And he went through like a little goofy phase where he was a little lanky and a little goofy and just kind of, you know, doing his thing. But over this past month and a half, I've seen a difference. And again, I got, I'm very fortunate to be able to put him on some birds. Oh, sure. Um, so I've got him walking up on grouse already. I'm trying to get him on birds where, you know, they're not going to take off quick. They, they sit and hold for a long time. So I got him going up on some partridge. Um, I got him going up on some grouse. I got him going nice. on little stuff like that where I'm tucking the wings and letting them get real close. And yeah. He's picking up on whoa. He's picking up on all that stuff. And that's great. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's that's, been fun. That's cool, man. Is, is most of your bird hunting going to be upland or have you dabbled in waterfowl at all with your labs? So when I was down in Texas, it was almost all waterfowl. That yeah. was the big focus. I mean, Texas in, in all realities, in my mind, upland is kind of going downhill a little okay. bit. Um, they have a lot of phenomenal groups that are like the quail coalitions that are together. I mean, sure. awesome. They need to be doing what they're doing because it's getting hurt out there. So when it comes to Texas is mainly waterfowl. I found, um, cause we got a lot of duck hunters in Arkansas, Oklahoma, mm. Texas, and then Mississippi all sure. through. And then, uh, but up where I'm at now, it's really flipped. My oh. switch is flipped for the past three, four months where I would say I'm, 70 60 70 percent upland and then everything else is waterfowl because I mean, you can waterfowl and upland training for labs a lot of things can cross so mm. upland's kind of the last phase of it so I, I work a lot on the basics memories lining stuff like that marks for the labs and then kind of towards the end of the time with me that's when i put them out in the field and let them have fun with that upland that upland section where it's just you know kind of tuning up and getting them ready because at that point the obedience is done sure and you know sit to the whistles done we can put down some bumpers they're staying close they're not going too far and bumping birds stuff like that yeah that's awesome man that's awesome well i yeah. you know I've, I've heard a couple people mention kind of the texas thing at, at 
you know, is it because is it because it's just lack of public access? Like, is it just because it's all private land or are there other priorities that are just taking taking hold of Upland? I think a little bit of both. I think for some reason, I think the younger population out there, kids my age, I'm, I'm a young guy, 27. Um, guys out there my age are real waterfowl heavy right hmm. now. I, I think so. I think it's a mixture of A, there's Texas public land is so limited. So if you're going to go upland hunting, it's going to be private property where they're probably putting birds out there or, you know, sure. something along those lines. Um, but outside that, it's it's all private land and the younger guys are signing leases where okay. the birds fly in instead of having to buy a bird and put it on the ground or, sure, you know, sure. or for a natural, natural herd out there. Flock. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Got flock, but her, yeah. Family, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, I got into a debate about, uh, what was it? Grouse or prairie chickens or something? Because there's, I think you don't call them a covey. Actually, you call them a oh, flock or something like that. I think it's yeah, actually so, flock is a, is a correct term for those birds. But I'm real technical know. when it comes to my dogs, but when it comes to little stuff like that, they're all prairie chickens. You know what I mean? I've, got, I've gotten into I'm at yeah. <laughs> I've gotten into some heated debates. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> not even not even debates. Like I, I've I've said it one way in a podcast or something. Someone freaked out. And like, oh, it's a call the flock. Okay, yep, it's a flock. Yeah, all right, right, yep, 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 totally. You got it, dude. You got it. No, so that's uh, I'm I'm right there with you, man. That's I'm awesome. Right yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Right, so, are you? Uh, have you ever traveled west to hunt at all, uh, upland birds, or I mean, sure. or waterfowl? Have you gone west at all, or more, I haven't more done Midwest? Too, or? I haven't done too much Midwest. That's going to be the goal of mine now, which is is exciting for me because I have a lot of like, when you come up to our property and our, our area, you have a lot of the big fields to kind of find out West, but then mixed in between is all timber. Hmm. So we get birds that kick into timber, which is fun. I love walking through the woods looking for birds. Um, so I haven't done too much out West. That's my goal probably this coming year to get really get out there, do the North Dakota, South Dakota thing. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking to Scott Stoner about doing some stuff with him. Um, and then I got some buddies who they have an outfitting agency. It's called Vista Valley Outfitters. They're down in Texas. Okay. And I've been talking with them, those guys, and uh, we would love to do some upland work and uh, yeah, get that going out That's west. Awesome. Yeah, they're doing yeah. it on the east coast. Just gotta get out west. Oh yeah, just just start traveling. You know, further over a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've been so waterfowl crazy. That's that's what oh, my sure. has been. So yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you're transitioning a little bit more over to upland pretty heavily, but. Sounds yeah, like, no, it's like bathing in fire, man. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's something it's about those after. something about those birds, and I don't know if it's the country or the land or something. It just it sucks you in. Dude, you can just walk for miles, walk for miles, yeah. and the day never ends. That's the nice part. I mean, up yeah. where we're at, you get into the woods and everything, which is cool, a lot of fun, but it's difficult because you got trees you're dealing with. That <laughs> sure, you know, like your shot windows change. Yeah, so when you're out in that big field, I mean, you can just keep going. Oh yeah. You, uh, you guys get like the, is it the woodcock flights that go through yeah. where you're at? Yeah. You do. Okay. Yeah, we got them. We got them. So they're mainly South Jersey. You can find them down that area, but we definitely have them. I mean, New Jersey in all honesty, people give it, people give it a little hate, which <laughs> I get it here and there. But I mean, when you're, I'm up in this corner of Jersey where I'm 15 minutes to New York state, 15 minutes to Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Um, most black bear per square mile in the United States. I've, so, I've heard I mean, that. I've heard that somewhere else. It's kind of a nutty area. We got white tail turkey everywhere, and there's not many hunters. 
So it's like, <laughs> this, as long as you're a shotgun guy or a bow yeah. guy, dude, go to town. That's where that. it's at. Yeah, it's a good time. That's, That's cool. Are uh, is uh, black bear hunting still? It's still legal in Jersey, right? So it really goes based on who's in office. Okay. Sadly, we lost an election this this past time, and sure. we don't have black bear hunting right now. Oh, bummer. But our population is ridiculous. I got oh my some of them in my backyard. There's one in my trash every Monday. Jeez. Oh, so we're gonna get after them once this season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's that. Did it, was it just this year they stopped it or? Couple. Yeah, they had okay. it last year. Of course, the year okay. I move up here. <laughs> of course. Ends, you know what I mean? So that'd yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah, we're gonna get after them, but we see them all the time. They're yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you said white white tail's pretty decent too. White tail's big, man. Big That's awesome. Tail, big herds. And again, geese, geese are great in the area. Limits are a little goofy once ducks start, but early season, late season goose is good. Okay. Um, and then outside that, the pheasant is pretty impressive that's cool yeah. now now are the are the pheasant are they bird, like birds birds that are bought and then put out on private land or public land or so the property i'm on we do a lot of farming of them so okay. we've got we've got i mean it's it's a quite a few birds we got a lot okay. of birds which is great so we we have that ability for for the dogs that's cool so we have uh we've got them farmed on the property um so we kind of mess with with the ability to farm them, but yet we also have birds that we'll put them out there that we farm and, you know, they're lasting a season and they're sure. going next year. So we kind of have a little that's bit great. of a population already. A little bit of yeah, carryover. Yeah. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. So that's, that's perfect. Birds, and then when you go, there's tons of public land up here. So when you get on public yeah. land. Yeah, absolutely. How many, uh, how many client dogs do you have right now? Or Sure. So we're starting small, which is nice. They already had this facility built when I got there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. So we're currently in a smaller, really beautiful kennel facility. I have six runs. Um, and then I've got those completely filled right now. And then we're going to be finished with five more that we're doubling in size already. Oh, so nice. we're five more, hopefully by middle of February. So we'll have the capacity for 11. And then once we fill that, we'll probably build a 30, 40 dog facility somewhere on okay. the property and uh, keep on growing, man. Keep That's great. Growing. So That's... I'll be up in New Jersey, hopefully for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. While. Do the winters get real bad where you would ever, uh, cause I know some East coast guys will like go South for the winter, train dogs and then go back North. Will, will that be I something you'll, you'll need to do or no? I was kidding about that, but. Yeah, we get some bad winters up here. We get some bad winters. So I know when I first moved up here last winter, gosh, we had like four foot of snow the first week I got up here. Like, <laughs> we didn't snow, you know what I mean? Just brutally unprepared. But uh, there's snow there right now, so I'll get back there to snow. So we've got we've got plenty. We've got okay. plenty. I kind of find that Pennsylvania at this point, they're not getting tons of snow, but you get a little north in New Jersey, New York, Maine, we're getting it coming off okay. great everything. Okay, cool, cool. Awesome, man. Well, as we kind of kind of wrap things up here, um, I kind of like to end end the podcast and just really get your take on, you know, let's let's say there's a brand new hunter out there, uh, a yeah. brand new guy or girl who just maybe picked up their first bird dog, just getting into the uplands yep. or, or what it might be. What's some advice you might give them uh, heading in? Maybe, maybe they're in the middle of their first season or, or looking to get into it. So if I'm talking to someone who just bought a dog and is trying to do it with a dog, my biggest thing would be find someone 
find someone out there who's just willing to give time. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out there. To be honest with you, I didn't pay anybody to learn at all. Um, I found that the guys who are really quality are willing to give their time because, you know, I find the guys in the dog community are normally pretty friendly dudes and we want everybody to be enjoying their hunts. And if we can help each other out, we will. So lock up and link up with some really good people out there. Find someone who's got a dog who's kind of three, four years old and been through it a little bit and learn a little bit from them. Um, and just take your time. I mean, don't rush your dog out there. A lot of guys are like, it's a year old. I want to put it in the field. Wait till it's two. You know, my dog didn't get in the field till it's two. Wait, it's going to be fine. And sure. dogs pick up on things quick. And quite frankly, more obedience and the more knowledge your dog has, the better. So take your time and find some real good mentors or guidance. And then if I was talking to someone who didn't have a dog, I'd say, uh, just get out there and again, find a mentor and just dive into it. I mean, go, go buy yourself a gun, go buy yourself some camo and get after it. I mean, spend a couple hundred bucks and do it just cause yeah. you can do it. You know, you can do it real cheap. Yeah. I, I like that advice, especially, you know, hearing a little bit about your story of, you know, the whole wild rose connection that you made, you went yeah. and had to find that guy and track him down and, you know, be bold. Yeah. And, ask for, Hey, I want to, you know, <laughs> come, come be a part of this. And you, you there's, there's always a part on everyone's, uh, a part everyone plays that you have to take action too. You have to kind of take action yourself. Cause a lot of guys will say, Oh, I, I, don't, I don't have a mentor. I, don't, I can't find one. Well, I would encourage everyone to, to be bold and make asks and you might get told, no, it, it could happen. Oh, but keep, keep asking and keep going after it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. People that are willing to give their time, man, they care about you. And that's, that's my big, and yeah, just, just do it right. So that, that's my biggest takeaway for people because I'm as well. I mean, I've been training dogs for five years, roughly now, I guess, five, four or five years. And, uh, I really didn't know too much getting into it. So, I mean, I'm someone who kind of did full circle when you talk to, to other guys in the dog training world, there's a lot of us out there like that, where sure. it's like, you know, I got my first dog and I found out I was good at it. <laughs> Met a guy at church and he gave me his dog and said, can you train? And I started a kennel. Like just take your time and do it right. You know? Yep. Yep. I totally yep. agree. Absolutely. Well, awesome Absolutely. brother. Uh, we're going to end with the kind of rapid fire section, a couple questions sure. for you and just kind of give me your off the cuff answer and uh, we'll go from there. Perfect. So what, what gun are you carrying into the field and why? I'm carrying a little bit of a mixed bag right now, to be honest. Right. I'm going hunting. I got an old 10 gauge. I'm taking out there, man. Wow. 10 gauge. Yeah, baby. You're the first I'm guest with a 10 gauge. Smack them down. Yeah. I, I'm going out there with a 10 gauge normally, honestly for duck this year too, just cause ammo has been so hard to find. Huh? You can find 10 gauge left <laughs> and right. I've been rocking wrong with that. This That's year. awesome. But when it comes to walking upwind, I'm normally shooting a 20 gauge. Um, silver pigeons, what I really like, Beretta. Um, looking at some brownings, I'm kind of going through a phase where I'm trying a lot, of, working for Griffin and Howe, luckily, and training these dogs. And so I've got the ability to go out and try a bunch of guns because we nice. have this shotgun showroom. Nice. So I'm going out there and, and giving a lot of guns a try. And so far, my favorite upland gun, a lot of guys will say get 28 gauge light and you can carry it forever. But I really like that 20 gauge. So that's yep. what I'm probably really start locking down with 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you answered my waterfall question gun too. And that's, yeah. I mean, kudos, man. First, first guess to say a 10 gauge. I like I like the switch up. It's a little different. Yeah, I try it, man. You gotta try it. When you're, when you're sitting there, everybody's like, I can't take that shot. You know, well, I, I can't, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. <laughs> Um, all right. So this is going to be a little bit of a loaded question because, uh, you have, well, so you have what a poodle pointer labs that are work. Okay. So maybe not too bad. Favorite dog breed besides the ones you own. Cockers. Cockers. Okay. Cockers are going to be my next dog. I'm going to really rock labs are hands down my favorite, but that's kind of a given. So I'm going to keep this poodle pointer, keep on building my labs, but my next fun dog is going to be a cocker. What? Okay. What is it? What is it about these little freaking cockers? Dude, they're like, you can fit them in a backpack. You know what I mean? Like, they're so small. They can sit in the front seat. They work. They, this have like ADHD in the field, man. Oh, they're man. Up. And the nice thing is, to be all honest, my labs are great. My personal dog is the smallest lab I've ever seen. She's 38 pounds. Oh, and wow. She's two old she's full size and pull wow. back a pistol but even her she's a little big to get into some of the briars when you're in the woods and stuff like that and sure. these little cockers man they get under <laughs> the brush they don't go through it they get under yeah. it yeah and they kick through there so that's why <laughs> this world is cocker crazy man i think they're they're cool dogs they it's are cool looking dogs so yeah <laughs> that's awesome. going to get crazy with them. They're just, yeah, they're great. That's they're cool. Um, all right. A couple more favorite birds to hunt and why? Big pheasant guy. Big pheasant guy. I love the chase. I love them when they run. I love them when they hold. I just, everything about them <laughs> is a great bird. Love the way they taste. They're beautiful. Um, yeah, that is, that is my bird of choice of any waterfowl, upland, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's a good summary of pheasant right there. <laughs> when, when you said that, I love the way they taste. I'm like, Oh shit. I got a bunch of fe- pheasant in my freezer right now. I'll cook some of them up. Dude, we did Scott Stoner actually he came up to Griffin Howe just a month ago and yeah. checked it out kind of helped me with my little poppy and gave me some next steps. And when he was up, we made some pheasant tacos. I mean, Ooh. talk good, dude. Insane. That Insane. sounds great. Oh, I wonder yes, what the sir. wife has scheduled for dinner, dinner at night. I wonder if I can, <laughs> wonder if I can change her mind. Um, okay. all right. Um, hardest thing to train a dog on in, in, in your experience, what's been just like that one thing that just can be difficult. So I haven't, I've been able to do it successfully, luckily with every dog I've had, but the hardest and longest phase for myself and for most guys, is hold training, man. Getting hmm. that dog to put that bird in your hand, delivery. Hmm. Um, it's really, really easy once they kind of get it. But that initial first two weeks, kind of that intermediate to simple hold and delivery sure. is hard. But not hard, just annoying. Quite it, sure, it, it can take it a while. longer than other things. Yeah, so. Gotcha. Experience delivery is fun, quick, because you can kind of do that while you're doing retrieves, but just that basic hold and putting your hand is gotcha. my favorite. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, all right. And then last one, uh, beverage of choice after a hunt. Beverage of choice after a hunt. I'm not a big drinker, so I don't I don't drink too much. So after a hunt, man, after a hunt, that's hard. I'd probably have to, I'm a big iced tea guy, man. Sweet hey, tea. there you go. Oh, sweet tea. Yes. Sweet tea's the way. Orm's gone classic Coca-Cola, man. There you go. 
I think I think Scott I think Scott might have said sweet tea too. I forget. I have to I have to really? go back. He might have. Yeah. Then him and I I think we had this whole conversation about uh, Chick Fil A or raisin candy. You guys actually did. Now that you say that. I, I think we did. Yeah. He was talking about Chicken Express. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think I've had that. Best, best darn sweet tea in Texas, Chicken oh, Express. He, right? Oh, he told me to stop there when we were in Dallas last year. We we did. Solid, solid. Up north, the best iced tea is Turkey Hill iced tea. Is Turkey Hill? Woo, dude, okay. that's all best right. Stuff. I might have to find, have to find me some of that. Colorado, got, they have the same store with a different name, oh. and they sell the same iced tea. And it's called Chug, something with Chug, Barrel uh, and Chug, or something like that. Uh, Kroger owns them. The, the Kroger okay. brand. Okay, okay, okay. Colorado, I was like, what? I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. Check I'll it get, out. I get that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I'm, yeah, Absolutely. big sweet, big sweet tea fan. I, uh, I, I think I'll stick with Chick Fil A as my favorite over. Yep. So Ra- raising canes and Chick Fil A, or that's our two I good like options, I guess. Chick-fil-A with oh, the there you go. Oh, there you. Go. Yep. Yes, sir. You're ready. You're ready. That's the way. Well, Ben, this has been a blast, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for carving out some time at the Safari Club and uh, chatting with me. Absolutely. Sometime you got to come up north, got to experience the New York, New Jersey hunting. So let us know. And Would love that. Here, man. Def- definitely want to get on some woodcock someday. So I might have to Let's do, do that. Let's do it. Hey, what, uh, what's a good way for people to get a hold of you or uh, follow along on your journey? Absolutely. So we're on Instagram. Griffin and Howe Gundogs is our handle. Um, outside that, Griffin and Howe is the company that I'm working under. So www.griffin and Howe. Um, anything you Google will come up with that as well. Um, we're working on getting the dogs on the website, so that'll happen here at some point. But I mean, you reach out to them; they can always share how to get a touch with me. We're just at Instagram. I'm always on there, always running that. And I pay pretty close attention. Yeah, fantastic, man, fantastic. Well, hey, you get back to uh, Dallas uh, Safari Club, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Sounds like a plan, man. You have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you. Bye. All right. That's a wrap of episode 33. Ben, thank you so much, man. Thanks. That was a blast. Just uh, getting to know you a little bit more, talking retrievers, hearing your story, uh, and also getting to know a little bit about the uh, Dallas Safari Club, man. That was, that was pretty unique uh, here to the podcast. Thanks uh, for carving out the time to uh, chat with us today. Hey guys, would you do me a favor? Uh, if you're if you're liking this podcast, if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, would you head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a rating and review? Um, I really love reading through your reviews uh, of the podcast. Um, just how this has helped or inspired you in any possible way um and inspires me uh lets me kind of know you know how this podcast is helping you what it's what it means to you and so it also helps the show get out there to more hunters just like you hey thanks so much for joining me this week uh remember if you aren't lucky enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, any bird dog is better than no bird dog go put some miles on those boots and have fun